unmistakable sound of a London bus. Okay, okay. Sitting squeezed in between two strangers and their shopping on a rickety upper deck might not always feel like the most magical moment in your day. But stay with me here. There can be an odd sort of romance to the idea of these somewhat old-school modes of transport roaming our streets, carrying thousands of us from A to B each day. Whether it's that famous scene in The Graduate where Ben and Elaine run out of the wedding she's just abandoned, flag down a bus and ride into a new life together. Or the cultural obsession with London's iconic red double-deckers. Just like the one our protagonists Alice and Elliot met on almost ten years ago. The real reason my producer Rochelle and I find ourselves sitting here on the number 17 bus between King's Cross and Archway, awkwardly holding a microphone between two rather confused-looking passengers. Sorry! Anyway, we might not quite have worked out what it is yet, but what we do know is that there seems to be something pretty special about this particular bus, the number 17. I actually used to commute on the number 17 bus and I had a big crush on another guy who used to commute on it. They pump it full of pheromones or something. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I didn't want to dog TFL in, they'd be nice to me, but they are doing some weird experimenting on the number 17 bus. So what is it exactly about the number 17? Could it really be the most romantic bus route in London? And what's that old saying about buses and two coming at once? Well, it seems the same can be said for bus-related love stories as well. My heart was thumping, like really, I could feel it in my chest. And I just thought I should get off and see if I can find him. The, the magic in it is like there were 8 million people in London or something and we would have never have met. From the standards, this is London Love Stories with Katie Strick. From a very special, if ever so slightly noisy, number 17 bus. Meet Alice and Elliot. I'm Alice Ehrlich. I'm 35 and I'm a senior programme manager in a healthcare think tank. My name's Elliot Hammer. I'm 39 and I'm a designer and photographer. Let's cast our minds back a full decade for this episode, to the year that is 2013. Things look a little different here in London, even if the view from the number 17 looks largely the same. The Shard has just opened to the public for the first time. It's the only building I can think of that looks like the tip of, the tip of an intergalactic spear. The Book of Mormon has held its first performance in the West End. And a Scotsman named Andy Murray has just become the first British man to win Wimbledon since 1936. Even he can't hold back the smile for this one. Things are pretty different for our protagonists, Alice and Elliot, back at this point too. I grew up in London and I was living in Archway, not far from where I grew up, with my sister and two of our girlfriends in a little house where we had a lot of fun as four single girls. Yeah, and so we just, I was enjoying London, I was enjoying, enjoying being single, like, you know, I was kind of starting out in my career, like, at grad school, and just, yeah, enjoying my 20s, really. I relatively recently got out of a, like, a long-term, long-distance relationship, and I wasn't really planning on dating anybody for a while, but I was living at the top of the Caledonian Road in a house that I really liked with a couple of friends. We were on, like, the top floor in this kind of treehouse kind of like apartment um and yeah and I, I was just kind of you know taking every day as it it comes really I didn't really have any plans of meeting anybody 
This particular story starts on Sunday, the 6th of October, 2013. It's one of those crisp, cold, sunshine-filled days we all like to think of when we picture autumn in London. And over on Columbia Road in Shoreditch, a few miles from Elliot's North London treehouse, the flower market is in full swing. So I had just been to Columbia Road, to the flower market. So I had bought a lot of plants, like really big plants. I was quite ambitious for my small flat. And the problem is there weren't any Ubers to get me back home and there was a train delay. So I ended up getting a two bus route home, which was the worst thing to do. Elliot boards the first of two buses he needs to make his way home, mentally crossing his fingers that his precious new plants don't get damaged en route. A couple of miles away at St Pancras Station, a train has just pulled in from Paris. So I had just got off the Eurostar visiting my sister. I was extremely hungover. Like, it had been a big weekend in Paris. And um, I got on the bus. I don't usually take... I actually don't like taking the bus, usually. It just I get a bit travel sick and I get a bit flustered. And especially with a big bag, I just think it's never a good idea to get a bus. But um, I think the tubes were down. There was just some reason why it just made sense to that day. So, yeah, I trundled over with my big suitcase that had lots of cheap French wine in it, which I was very, like, determined to like, take home to my <laughs> house of girlfriends and my sister. Alice drags her wine-filled suitcase over to a bus stop outside King's Cross Station. She's tired, hungover, a little flustered from lugging her heavy bag around. After a few minutes, the number 17 pulls up. So the bus arrived... On I got, heaving this suitcase. And I'm, I mean, I must have looked distressed. Elliot was at the back of the bus. Yeah. And I, um, he came down, like, halfway down the bus to say, like, can I help you? And normally, if a man offers me help with my bag, I'd be like, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> but I think because I thought you were very attractive. <laughs> and also because I was... I needed, I actually genuinely needed help with my bag. Um, it looked I, like a two-person job. It, yeah, it looked like it was you a two-person job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he sort of, he helped me um, get to the back of the bus to the opposite side of where he was. He was at the back on one side and I was at the back on the other. And um, then we sat down and... Um, yeah, and then as the bus started moving away, I was like, oh, he's actually very, very cute. <laughs> and I, um, I mean, as a single person in London by that point, I was very, I felt pretty confident with striking a conversation <laughs> with someone I find attractive. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I said to him, where did you get your plants from? And I knew the answer. He had Columbia Road written all over him. <laughs> but, um, you know, had to start somewhere, so. <laughs> Columbia Road cliche or not, there's clearly chemistry. We can probably all picture the scene. That funny moment when you find yourself sitting next to a good-looking stranger on public transport, trying to snatch a glance at the other person whilst also trying to fix your face so you don't look like a total creep. In this case, it's safe to say Alice and Elliot have both clocked whatever is going on here isn't just some innocent stranger small talk. There's flirting, a clear spark between them. But for Alice, it's more than that. I knew from the moment that I saw him on the bus that I wanted to be with him forever. Like I, Which is, I know, weird, and I don't believe in like love at first sight, but I guess I do because that's how I felt. <laughs> 
Alice and Elliot spend a couple of minutes making chit-chat about the flower market and their weekend plans. She's readying herself to settle into a longer conversation, hoping neither of their stops roll around too quickly, when another passenger gets onto the bus. I guess you can call this the curveball moment of the story. There was this guy who got on the bus who recognised me, but I didn't recognise him. And he sat right in between us. And then his dog sat in front of me because it was one of the buses where these other seats face backwards. And he wanted to talk to me about how he recognised me, but I didn't recognise him. So that's how we kind of, like, well, him and I struck up a conversation together and spent most of the, uh, the bus journey talking to each other whilst his dog... Uh, whilst his dog just kept on farting, which definitely changed the mood of the... Yeah. yeah not so romantic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's one way to kill what could have been a very perfect meet-cute. Man with a dog, I hope you're listening. Anyway, Elliot's stop rolls around, so he pushes the bell and makes his way off the bus. I say goodbye to the dog and the man, and I say goodbye to Ali, and I say, good luck, I hope, you know, hope you'll be okay. Um, no, you... You said good luck with like a really cheeky smile. Okay, right. <laughs> which, which which said like good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then um, it was a, it was a flirt. It was definitely flirty. When I got off, I like looked at you through the window, um, and yeah, and then the bus drove off, and I thought, wow, I'm never going to see her again. That was what a shame. But I only spoke to her for like two minutes. No, Elliot, this is the part where you're supposed to run back onto the bus and ask for her number or at least signal through the window and... Ugh, never mind. (laughs) Elliot begins making his way home, slowly, thanks to the plants, and somewhat downtrodden that he'll never see that fun, interesting, attractive girl he's just met on the number 17. But Alice has other plans. So he got off. And I, my heart was thumping, like really, I could feel it in my chest. And I just thought I should get off and see if I can find him. So I thought, you know, what's the worst that happens? I should just do it. Um, and I mean, I've been, you know, I've been turned down enough times to like, know that it's not the end of the world. <laughs> it's just a bit embarrassing. Um, so yeah, so we, we got to the next bus stop and I lumbered off with the suitcase and um yeah and then was just like scanning the road (laughs) scanning where is he (laughs) i was just walking i crossed the road and was just walking up to my junction and um and i just hear this deep rumbling sound from the distance i see alice running across the road with her wine filled suitcase rumbling <laughs> along and I think you said something like I thought I should ask for your number yeah such an English kind of embarrassed yeah sort of <laughs> apologetic way yeah. to ask someone out yeah <laughs> yeah and I thought that was great I was so like I just thought you were I think it was you know just very confident and you knew knew what you wanted to do and you're just doing it and I yeah, I really respected that. So I was like, well, obviously, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> My d- battery was dead, so he wrote his number down on a piece of paper. And then I was too, you know, when you're just hungover and you don't want to talk, you're like, I'm going to mess this up if I talk anymore to him. <laughs> so I was like, bye. <laughs> just like walked all the way back to Ar- like another mile to Archway um, with my big bag. 
for you. Man with the farty dog, you can breathe a little now, if you're still listening. Both go home and tell their respective housemates about the fateful meeting they've just had on the number 17 bus. And a few hours later, Alice messages the number Elliot had carefully written for her on that piece of paper, suggesting a drink. I remember seeing the dots that you were typing back, and then they disappeared, and then you were typing back, and then you were like, can I just call you? And we just had like a 10-minute conversation, like very logistical, very normal, you know, just... And I was like, I like this guy. He's efficient. <laughs> very organised. <laughs> he's very organised. He's not, he's not like, he's not trying to play games. The bus story gives Alice and Elliot this romantic kind of momentum in those early days. They meet for a first date in Dalston and discover a reassuring handful of mutual friends and a shared dream of moving to New York. It's exciting, electric, all those things you want it to be when you've just met someone you really like and find yourself hardly breathing while you wait for them to text. But, now excuse the bus metaphors, they quickly start to encounter the odd, probably rather relatable, bump in the road. I was very bad at getting back to Ali in a regular kind of way. And as I said, like, I got out of like a long-term, long-distance relationship. I was kind of a little sort of distracted by everyday life and didn't really know, you know, what to do. Emotionally, un- emotionally unavailable is, is the term that comes to mind. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes, <laughs> that makes sense, yeah, yeah. And so begins a classic communication bump that quite a few couples listening to this might recognise. They date for six months, not seeing anyone else but skipping neatly around any kind of conversation that might conclude they were, of course, what it felt like they'd been for a while now, most of the time. Girlfriend and boyfriend. After half a year of some textbook emotional unavailability from Elliot's side, Alice cracks. And I got kind of sick of it. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And um, we kind of broke up, essentially. After the break, relationship crossroads grand romantic gestures and the moment Elliot decides it's his turn to get off the bus for Alice. It's February 2014 and Alice has reached breaking point. She knows she wants a relationship with this man. She always had this gut feeling about him but she can't hold on forever if he's not ready. They talk it out and decide to go their separate ways to Alice's sadness. 48 long hours later, Elliot finds himself lying awake in his treehouse on the Caledonian Road. I was just back home and I'd been, I was working all the time, like working like 12 hours a day and then, you know, going out in the evening and meeting like people about projects, like clients. And then I didn't really have a lot of like mental space to think about myself or what I really wanted, like in life or in a relationship. I was just looking out the window into, like, the back garden, so I was like, what am I doing? Like, I, I want to be with Ali. Like, why am I, what am I doing? And I, and I thought, oh, it's a bit late to go over there. <laughs> but I was just like, I've got to go. i just got to go. And, and then I was like, so I, I rode my little bike over to her place, and, yeah, I was just, and as I was riding over there, I was just thinking, like, this is what Ali did for me. Like, she got off the bus and ran across to get me and I'm sort of going to get her. I was asleep and I'd just moved into a new flat by myself 
and he so to find my doorbell ringing and I didn't even know what the sound of my doorbell was because I'd just moved in so I opened the door and I was so I was like I was afraid I was half asleep and he turned up with his bike and he's like I just want you to be my girlfriend I just want you to be my girlfriend I guess this is what you would call the running through the airport part of the story if this were a Hollywood rom-com or in this particular story Elliot's getting off the bus moment Except, well, this isn't a Hollywood rom-com. It's two single 20-somethings living in North London, and each with a fair share of experience when it comes to the realities of modern dating. She was like, wait here. She went back upstairs and came back with a sheet of paper, and she'd written a list of things that we had to talk about. (laughs) So she kind of interviewed me for the position. Elliot accepts his position as Alice's boyfriend, and they get back together, officially this time. They're happy and very much into each other, but aware that turning up on someone's doorstep doesn't magically rid a relationship of the teething problems that come with the initial months of a new love story. They're still two separate people with separate jobs, separate lives, orbiting around one another, trying to hold on to a connection amid the madness of London life. The turning point, it turns out, comes at Glastonbury, on a hay bale, overlooking Worthy Farm. A friend, like, really needed some help. Like, he ran, like, a food truck thing and really needed some help. And... I, very last minute, said to Ali, do you want to come too? And she didn't know at all what she was getting into. So we were just kind of helping him, you know, work on this food truck, basically, which was not fun at all. It was a very little battery, much more working on a food truck. We had, like, a big night, a very, very big night We had one night off. Yeah. At Glastonbury. And we fell in love that night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the night. That fell in love night. at Glastonbury. Yeah. I remember I remember being sitting on this huge like mountain of hay bales and just having this really like deep, big conversation with yeah. you. Being kind of like really warm inside but really cold on the outside because yeah. it was this weird kind of summer summertime, but it was like three AM or something, maybe four. And um and yeah, we just had this really big chat again. And I feel like that's kind of where I kind of really reorientated my life to be focused around Ali and not just yeah. a complete crazy knot of a mess. Um, yeah. Finding a way back to each other amongst the messiness. That's what Alice and Elliot credit for getting through the roller coaster that can be the honeymoon period. It took them a while to get there, as many couples can probably attest to but Alice says something in her always knew it would work out, even on day one, when she first saw him on the number 17. Alice and Elliot move in together in the summer of 2015, almost two years after their chance encounter with the suitcase and the plants. Their lives align much easier under one roof when it comes to it. In fact, they quickly start discussing that dream they both share, of moving to New York. It was kind of always in the background, like this plan that we had both... Um, you know, this dream that we'd both had and um, we, as we became more serious, the plan became more tangible. And I am half American, like I have US citizenship. So it was always, it was always something that I could do very easily. And um, we started to talk about it. And obviously, like, we could have just, we could have just got married and, you know, got the green card. Um, but Elliot was running his business, so we were kind of looking at ways to, for him to get, like, the visa without having to get married. But um, 
I say that now, it sounds really bad, but like, I think we were still like very independent. We kind of wanted yeah. independence from each other in a way, or like, yeah. that was like the first also, choice. But... We didn't want to just get married yeah. for a visa. Exactly. You know, we wanted yeah. to get married because we wanted to really be married. Yeah. Um, and then there was one day, because I'd suggested, oh, we could get married. But Ali wasn't so into the idea um, until one day I was walking out of the flat and Ali was sitting in the kitchen and she just said, you know, we could just get married. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> just a few months after their very casual proposal, Alice and Elliot tie the knot at Hackney Town Hall with a small reception at their friend's restaurant, Raw Duck, before a new and exciting next chapter across the pond. It's been 10 years since that hungover, baby-faced meeting on the bus back in 2013. And Alice and Elliot are finally living their American dream in what we'll call the um, second greatest city in the world. So what is it then that makes them work so well as a two? And which part of that did they see so early on in that fleeting Columbia Road conversation at the back of the number 17? We have just a very deep friendship, which is like... Yeah, that's the best bit. That's the best bit. Yeah. Um... And I think that's what maybe I saw on the bus. Like, it, yes, I found you very attractive. But I also just thought this guy is so, like, he's so great. He's so much fun and um, kind. And, like, I could just tell everything about you, which I, is true. Like, everything that I thought about you when I first saw you turned out to be true. And I think the same with you. Like, I definitely saw there was that, like, adventurous... You know, it takes something... I think you knew what you wanted. wanted. Like, you saw something, and at that moment it happened to me, me, but in other parts of your life, things that you really want to do, you pursue them, like, fully, and you really, you know... And I, and I thought, I want some of that in my life as well, you know? I really admired that, and I thought that was great. And mm. so that's, I suppose, why we've been on a lot of adventures together. Yeah. <laughs> There's clearly something pretty special about Alice and Elliot's 10-year adventure. Their meeting feels like the ultimate sliding door story, in many ways. Two strangers having a chance meeting on a bus neither of them planned to get, which they only happened to be on because the other routes were down, and she took a little longer getting up that escalator than normal. For me, like, the, the magic in it is, like, we would have never have met except for the one moment. There were, like, eight million people in London or something, and... I don't know. I think also if we had met, we probably would have been at a different time and it wouldn't have made sense. So I think the special thing is that it just happened right then. Yeah, I think if we hadn't met that day, we wouldn't have met. It's crazy. You know, here we are in New York and like, what would, <laughs> what would we be doing with our lives if we hadn't met that day? Yeah, it would be it's... so uncomparably different. It certainly would be. As would so many of our lives without these mad, sliding doors moments that lead us to a person, a job, a new chapter, and so often feel they were somehow written in the stars when we look back on them. So how much of it is down to fate then? Or do we actually make our own luck in these moments? The truth, Alice and Elliot believe, is probably a strange mixture of the two. But we certainly have more agency than certain rom-coms have us believe. Sure, there was luck in their number 17 meet-cute, but there was still a whole load of choice in it as well. Elliot choosing to help Alice with her suitcase, both choosing to strike up a conversation on the back seat, her choosing to get off the bus for him. 
The transient nature of public transport just forced them to make those choices a little more quickly than they might have done at a bar or in a nightclub or in the queue for an ice cream at the theatre in the West End. Fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it. Perhaps it's in our hands, really, most of the time. And perhaps there's actually a comfort in that, a lesson to be taken, to take the bus, or, rather, to know when it's time to get off. I think the moral of the story is get off the bus. Yeah, get off you the bus. you got to get off the bus. <laughs> if there's someone you like, you got to get off the bus yeah. and go get their number and, you know, just take a chance. And that's it for part one of this very special double episode of London Love Stories. In instalment number two, we hear from Rory and Charlotte, another couple who have a lot to thank the number 17 for. See you in just a second.